the Kaw Valley in, in Lebanon looks like the face of Mars, um, and these families are living directly on that. Welcome to Tete a Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Rose Wolkowski, and this week's episode features a conversation between alumnus Scott Key and career and alumni specialist Jackie Schaefer. Scott began his work on the emergency floor system during his time as a graduate student at Rice Architecture. He and fellow alumnus Sam Brizendine continued their work on this project after graduating. Jackie and Scott discussed the impact of his time at Rice, how he transitioned this project into real-world production, and where their company is heading now. So let's tune in. Hi, Scott. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Really, really excited to talk to you. So I just want to kind of get like the overview of everything that's going on since you've left. But first, I want to talk to you about your experience at Rice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you were a master's degree candidate here. You got your master's, we said, in 2015, correct? Um, So tell me about the work you did when you were at Rice. I was an option one. My background before this was construction management, and I had worked in construction for a while uh, before this, but... um, Cutting my teeth in Ron's first studio as an option one was a big eye-opener. Um, I had no real design experience, so um, it was kind of like going from zero to 90 first semester, learning software and, and getting kind of thrown into the deep end architecturally. But um, I was always really interested in the work that RBW was doing um, at the time, and I, I think now it's called Construct. I think it was my second semester that I, I approached Danny to get involved in some capacity because I wasn't going to be able to take the course. but wanted to be involved and he had a grant that some students had won but had no one to implement it and that's that's kind of how all of this got started and throughout the rest of my time here at Rice I was uh, very involved with that project and it evolved into eventually into what we're doing now with every shelter. So I feel like that's something that a lot of architects struggle with taking all of these other elements of their life and their experience and turning it into something that's really meaningful for them yeah. and I think you've done a really good job oh, at that. You. Let's back up a little bit so you you were heavily involved with RBW, and then uh, I remember you and Sam kind of initially getting started with the floors. So mm-hmm. tell me about emergency floor. We met riding the train together. I mean, we were both here riding the train every day in, in the downtown for an internship over the summer. Uh, I had gotten this project, so we started working on an entire shelter. Um, and, and over the course of the next year, we created a prototype uh, with a lot of help. Took it to a conference. And it was kind of in the course of working on that, uh, that, that first prototype that we realized that, that a bigger need or a more compelling need for us was um, the refugee community. Um, just there, there was this clear gap between the amount of time that a refugee spends living in a shelter in, in the provisions that they get and kind of the durability of, of the provisions that they get. And so uh, we started to shift our thinking away from domestic disaster relief and focus more on the provisions that refugees get and, and focusing on making those better because on average a refugee will spend about a minimum of six years um, often it lasts like 10 to 17 years and it's basically camping they, they get tents. We shifted our focus during our time as students away from the entire shelter to focusing on a single intervention at a time and specifically flooring most refugees live directly in the dirt. Yes, yeah, two students uh, we thought that that would be one component of a home shelter that we could focus on and and tackle here we are six years later um, and and still doing that work were you guys scared or were you were you worried about kind of starting off on that and how did you balance that with doing the kind of day-to-day work that you had to do to to sustain your own lives yeah 
think the problem was always compelling to us. I mean, the, the more uh, the more research, the more work we did, the more it validated the premise. Sometimes when you start on a project, you get more and more facts that, that cause you to say, you know, maybe I really didn't understand this well. Uh, the, the further we dove into this, the more we realized that no, not only uh, do we understand this correctly, that, that this, this really is kind of dire circumstances that these families are forced to live in, um, it, was, it was greater than we had initially imagined. And so I think part of the answer to that question is that it was, it was a really compelling problem. I mean, I think from a heart standpoint, we were always there. But then we also, along the way, had these minor successes, major successes that, that really encouraged us to continue. After that first year of working on it, we ultimately uh, landed in Alspark, the startup program that Rice had just started. We were in the first class. Uh, we probably had no business being there in a lot of ways, but it, it, it kind of forced us to take our, our only designer hats off and say, what is, it, what is it gonna take? What does it mean to make this viable? So we had a lot of people around us um, that, that helped us understand what it meant to, um, you know, validate essentially a product. You know, is this, is this really workable, uh, the designs that we had come up with? Um, but then also, how do you run an organization and how do you establish the right partnerships? And, um, you know, one of the fortunate or unfortunate things about it is, you know, once you get an idea off the ground, especially as a designer, you spend so much of your time not designing. Um, you spend a lot more of your time um, on all of the other really important aspects of taking an idea and getting it, um, you know, out of the field in our case. So going back to what I initially said, it was always the problem was really compelling and I thought we were the right people to solve it. So You were working on that. You guys had full-time jobs and everything. And so you started to then expand into things beyond the floor. So talk yeah. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so moving forward, we uh, have taken kind of this work with Emergency Floor, a lot of the lessons that we learned creating a product for the refugee context, which is really difficult. You know, in a typical kind of client relationship, you, you have a pretty close feedback loop. In, in this context, it's not, it's not really that way. The, this, this, uh, this industry is not, uh, not used to kind of designers coming in and, and trying to usher in new uh, ideas. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of bumps along the way to get to this point, but um, we have a lot of really strong partnerships in place. We understand the context a lot better. Um, and because of those partnerships, now we have a shorter feedback loop as far as getting feedback on ideas, um, testing ideas, uh, which includes getting feedback from refugee families themselves, which is a really important variable when you're designing for these families. So we established last year a nonprofit called Every Shelter. And, and our goal, Sam and I's goal, was always to focus on kind of a more holistic solution to the challenges that refugees face. You know, flooring is a really very critical component of um, their day-to-day -day life. You know, if you imagine living directly in the dirt, raising your kids in the dirt, um, it presents a lot of challenges, and that's kind of putting it lightly. It's, it's a frequently life-threatening. Um, but we always knew we wanted to take the lessons that, that came out of developing emergency floor um, and, and begin to implement new uh, new products. And every shelter is the pathway to do that. It's, it's a... It's a nonprofit, uh, and, and we're really focused on using our skills, talents, and our education, developing emergency floor to bring in new products for refugees. It's probably important for us to just take a minute and explain, like, why the floor is so important. I mean, yeah. you think floor, like, okay, why aren't the walls more important? Mm -hmm. Why isn't the infrastructure more important or something like that? So let's talk about why, because I think, like, spelling it out is, yeah. is important. Yeah, it's not, as, uh, it's not as obvious of a problem for many people. 
uh, and it's not to say that none of them, none of the other aspects of the home are less important. Um, it's just frequently the most overlooked in this context. So starting back with duration, many, many families, including all the ones that we work with that are Syrian refugees, most of our families have already been there nine years. I've never lived in a single place for nine years, but they, they were forced to flee their homes because of the Civil War. Um, many of them have had family members killed. They end up in this, this really strange context where their status is technically temporary, but nine years is hardly temporary. Um, and so why is the floor important, you know, specifically in that context? And I can expound into other places where we work now, but the Ka Valley in, in Lebanon looks like the face of Mars. Um, really clay soil, really rocky, um, and these families are living directly on that. And so it exposes them to parasitic infections at a really high level, instances of diarrhea, um, things like cholera are really prevalent in camps because these families use an outhouse, essentially. And so when it rains and floods, that, that effluent spreads. So that's, that's one aspect of a floor is, is just the health side of it from a gastrointestinal side. Um, Lebanon gets really cold. Uh, they just went through one of the worst winters that they've ever had. If you've ever been camping in cold weather and you've ever laid down on the ground, you realize that the, the ground is freezing. Our flooring is actually insulated and makes a thermal break between the body and the ground. So the ambient air temperature is important going back to the walls and the, uh, the roof. But actually maintaining the body heat that your heat is producing and your heat source is producing is really, really instrumental in not having uh, hypothermia. Uh, or any other cold-borne uh, ailments. And so it's a really impactful intervention as far as keeping kids healthy, uh, moms healthy, um, but also specifically in the wintertime, keeping these families warmer than they have been previously. And then that's not even to speak about just general dignity. When you can keep yourself and your kids healthy and warm, um, it does a lot for your just general overview of life and, and the world. So um, we, we like that aspect of it quite a bit. The, what are the things that you're looking at now and what are the kind of the next set of problems that you're solving? Talk to me a little bit about what's what's kind of going on. Forward. Yeah, so generally speaking, they're not purpose-designed uh, provisions for these contexts. It's, it's as we stated, it's a, long, it's a long duration of time and refugees typically get provisions that are purpose-designed for other settings. So take a tarpaulin. You know, tarpaulin is great frequently for four to six months um, that's not, not the case here. And so um, looking at other provisions is, is a huge focus of what we have moving forward. You know, the, the pipeline and the feedback loop are really important. And now we have a really strong partnership with the American Refugee Committee specifically. Um, they're very interested in, in improving the way that they implement relief. Um, they run a number of camps throughout the world and they want to do better. They, they are also tired of the status quo. And so we found a really ready and great partnership in that relationship. And so um, we are finally ramping, ramping up to some of our newest uh, products. It's a little early to kind of mention specifically what they are, but you know anything focusing from specifically hand washing and sanitation, um, that's a big focus, to constructing shelters that are more permanent, but really ride that line between temporary and permanent in a more effective way. Um, and, and really just looking at purpose designed uh, solutions for you know the entire shelter now and so this summer we're hiring interns we're working with the American Refugee Committee to focus on three to five specific ideas um, and we'll spend the summer really kind of cranking on those ideas with the intention at the end of the summer to have pilotable uh, products that we can take into the field specifically into Uganda um, to test to get feedback I'm headed there next month to 
uh, put these ideas before uh, a roundtable of refugee families to get their feedback, kind of initial feedback. Uh, here are our ideas. We think they're good. What do you think? What could be better? It's an important part of our organization to continue to get their feedback, to get the feedback of the indu industry professionals that are in-country. Um, all of those are really important variables when you are considering a successful design in this, this capacity. Uh, at the end of the summer, we'll take those into the field to Uganda to test them, to continue to get feedback, to refine and improve. And the goal in this case is that the final solutions are able to be produced in Uganda. And that's a really important component of this. Um, this design is that they are produced locally. Uganda has, they have either have the most or the second most refugees in, in the world, but, and they have great manufacturing capabilities. And that's really been the focus of my professional career since leaving the School of Architecture. But making sure that the, the designs that we come up with are able to be manufactured in, locally in Uganda is a really key component of this. So we'll take the work that the uh, interns do this summer um, and continue to refine them and, and take it full scale. It does seem like there is this sort of domino effect in the work that you're doing that the more you research and the more you talk to people and the more feedback you get about one component of what you're doing, it kind of raises all these other concerns and issues mm -hmm. and things that you can address. And I, I can see where this is kind of a self-sustaining endeavor for you guys because it's like there's always a problem to solve and yeah. there's always something to reach for. and. I've got to imagine that's tough, but I, I think it's probably really rewarding too, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, if you consider all aspects of camp life, there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, and so that, that's, that's both disheartening and also, you know, encouraging for us, knowing that we're really on the right path with our goal and mission. We see ourselves fitting well into the context that's there, which is, you know, organizations like the American Refugee Committee who are hands-on in the field day to day um, but don't necessarily have the capacity to think about products and new ideas effectively like we can. And so uh, we really have fit into this role as almost like an outside design consultant that can, can be really the catalyst for these new ideas and, and uh, use our skills in design manufacturing to, to bring about this change. But none of it could happen without these partnerships. And we know that from our time working in emergency floor, it's, you know, it's not good to work in a silo. So... <laughs> And if somebody wants to get involved a little bit more directly with what you're doing in terms of donating money or their time or anything, is that is, are they able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we install a lot of floors. Um, you know, it's kind of our bread and butter. It's how we got started. Anytime we raise $300, we commit to putting a floor in a family shelter. Um, and so that's a commitment from us to anyone who donates is that uh, it will go uh, to directly impact a family. We're, we're slated to do about a thousand shelters by May. We have the right partnerships in place to make sure that that, that gets done effectively. And um, if you feel compelled about this problem, I mean, it's please reach out and let us know that it's an interest of yours and I'm sure we can put you to work. Well, I'm very excited for you guys and I'm so happy that you had time to talk to yeah, me today here and I really appreciate it. And we cannot wait to see what you guys continue Absolutely. to do. Thank you so much. For more information on Scott Key and his nonprofit, Every Shelter, visit the latest news tab on the Rice Architecture website. Don't forget to subscribe to our page on SoundCloud to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Rose Wolkowski, and this has been Tete a Tete.